All right, here we go. Welcome in DNVR Avalanche podcast. Jesse Montano, Megan Angley here on Friday. Normally, uh, my days are all messed up, Megan. This is normally the Wednesday show is you and me. No kidding. So it I feels keep, like there's a few more days, but it's weekend. I know. I keep having to remind myself it's Friday. It's Friday. Uh, well, we talked about it with you guys earlier this week, having a special guest come on. Uh, so very excited. We're going to go ahead and bring in uh, Katie Gauze from Altitude Sports. Katie, it is very good to see you. I, I guess first question is how's your summer going? Well, good to see you guys too. I know we were joking about it before I came on, but it's like we spend every second together for the whole season mm-hmm. and then from 100 miles an hour to zero. Um, yeah. but my summer has been great. I got to sneak down to Florida actually, which we'll be talking about in a second, um, nice. for a little sunshine. Got to work on my tan. That's the only thing that's been tough in Colorado. But summer's been good, doing a little golfing, uh, trying nice. not to be sad that we're not playing. <laughs> but otherwise all good and certainly excited to be on here with you guys and already starting to think about the excitement coming up with the draft and next season. Yeah. No, no kidding. Like you said, it's, it's so funny because you go a hundred and then especially in the cases of like what we dealt with, with the abs, it was a hundred and then you didn't know if you were going to zero the next day and then you did. But like you said, once the finals wrap up, uh, it, we kind of jump right back into it. Uh, but we did want to talk to you a bit about what's going on with the Stanley cup final. Uh, for those of you that don't know, uh, Katie came to, uh, Colorado to altitude originally from, uh, I believe you were there when it was Bally's correct. Or were you Fox sports? Fox sports and Bally. I was okay. there for this show. So I got a little bit of both, but yeah, three ish seasons with the Florida Panthers with the Florida Panthers. So obviously, you know, this has been a super exciting run for them. So we want to just talk to you a little bit about what, what it's been like for you, someone who, you know, was around the organization. Uh, you know, I know even before you worked for them, you, you worked very closely with them. So I guess I just want to know for you, what has it been like to, to watch this run for them, knowing what the fan base is like, and then they get their first Stanley cup final win last night, which was awesome to see. Yeah, well, first and foremost, there are still so many people that I worked with there that I love so dearly. And Mm -hmm. it is amazing to get to see them finally experience this. People kind of give that fan base a little bit of flack for not being hardcore hockey fans. But let me tell you, having been there, been in those arenas, there are plenty of diehard fans down there. So they've been strung along for a while now. This is their first chance back in the finals since they lost to the Avs in 96. So this is something they've been waiting a long time for and for any fan base that knows what it's like to go through the hard times this is what it's all about so it's great to see them getting rewarded for me it's kind of crazy because from my first season there dale talon still being the gm to now bill zito has taken over the team has gone through so many transformations you've seen departures of core players you've seen new goalies coming in and rising to the occasion you've seen a completely new identity in terms of the way they play i think back to last season when i was with them during the stanley cup run and we beat washington it was a struggle and then we just watched them get absolutely obliterated by that tampa team this team is so different than they were last year. And it's crazy to think that that much of a transformation in a, in a style and a culture can occur in just one year. But a big factor has been Paul Maurice. He's come in with a much more physical and defensive structured mindset. And you're seeing them reap the rewards of that. That being said, this series against Vegas is definitely challenging. You can tell that the heavy physical play they want to impose has been tough to keep up with Vegas's speed. You can only be physical if you can actually get to the guys and Vegas has used their speed and their offensive rushes to just blow past Florida. 
but it's been really awesome just from a from a, a basic level to just see this team grow year from year and really watch exactly all the things they've tried to do slowly unfold and to get to this point to finally have that Stanley Cup final win under their belt. It's a series now. And they didn't win that game easily yeah. by any stretch. <laughs> they had to get to OT, but at least they have that win. They feel what it's like to get that success. They can say, okay, we beat them. Now what do we do? And it's a series. It's it's going to be a lot more interesting, I think, from here on out. That first win kind of gets the weight lifted a bit. So I, I just wanted to ask you, because you mentioned that you beat me to the punch on, on you know, had the transformation of this team. Obviously, you weren't there this year with, with Matthew Kachuk. But as the team was kind of struggling to find this new footing, I guess, you, yeah, kind of a new identity. How much, Katie, were you watching them throughout the season going, gosh, if they can just get you know, their, their, their foot in the stirrup. I think this team is still really good. I mean, they're a year removed from winning the president's trophy. We've talked about, we maybe kind of undersold them a bit coming into the playoffs. Well, it's, it's legitimately wild to think that if the Pittsburgh Penguins hadn't lost to the Chicago Blackhawks, who were terrible at the end of the season, Florida wouldn't even be here. That is how close they were to not even making the playoffs. Now they take down the defending record holding, I mean, the Bruins, that that was a juggernaut of a team. You may never see a team that good, but the president's trophy is cursed. I'm still convinced of this. So, <laughs> well, you, have to, you have to win it the year before, then you get to have some success right, after. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So it's wild to see that this team who barely made it has done that. But that's why the Stanley Cup playoffs and the playoffs in general for hockey are amazing because all you have to do is get in. And then you never know what's going to happen. I mean, even the way they beat the Bruins, you thought they were dead in the water. They put in their backup. I mean, like crazy stuff. Uh, so it's great to see that, you know, no matter where you enter the playoffs, the truth is that once the playoffs start, it's anybody's game. Um, but to think about from a from a perspective of just like the transformation from last year to this year, it's tough to say that one player can truly make that big of a difference but you'd have a hard time at this point arguing that matthew kachuk hasn't done that seriously it's unbelievable i mean i think everybody when you look back at the trade huberto uyghur kachuk i mean i don't think anybody expected huberto to fall off the way he did this year right Calgary struggled the coaching change i think will be huge for him i think it will help him but it's not just about the points it's about the personality and what Kachuk has brought, his grit, his absolute game face at all times, the way he is just sort of taken on this identity of being the Rat King, which is what they're calling him down there. Which <laughs> I love it. I mean, he's living up to exactly what they needed because if yeah. you look at the Panthers team last year, they got pushed around. And, and there are other players who are helping to, to, to fix that. But Kachuk has sort of led this charge of like, we are going to be so hard to play against. We are going to bug you. We are going to hit you. We are going to make your life miserable. And that's just who he is. And it's completely changed the culture of this team. And I think is a huge part of why we're seeing this success. The other thing that's kind of cool is one of my favorite players, and he always will be, is Sasha Barkov. But there's one thing Sasha Barkov does not have, and that is that angry, gritty person. <laughs> And it, he is so talented, but he will never be that guy. Yeah. Kachuk is now doing that for him. He's the Marchand to his Bergeron. It's the perfect balance. So he can be the captain, oh, but he doesn't have to, to have to carry that 
extra load of being that, you know, vocal guy, that pest on the ice, because it's just not in his DNA. Yeah. So Kachuk, perfect balance to that. And it's really, really awesome to see just how much of a difference it's made. Totally. Something I was curious about, because these playoffs have kind of cast aside the benefit of home ice advantage with a lot of good road teams, Florida being one of them prior to this final. And I was curious from your experience what the atmosphere is like at home in Florida and alongside the urgency of Florida's situation right now. Do you think this was just the boost they needed? Yeah, absolutely. If you look at the building, it's huge. It, it It's sad because when there's games where there aren't as many fans, people are like, oh, nobody comes to Florida games. I was like, dude, there's like 22,000 seats in here. It really doesn't really? look like not a big crowd. It's a huge building. Wow. So I used to always try to make that argument. I'd be like, listen, I promise you there's more people in here than you think. But that said, <laughs> when the playoffs rolled around and it was the same last year, I – I can honestly say that that place was absolutely rocking and it's gotten even more this year. I feel like they've kind of got this underdog mentality more than ever, especially coming in being the last team. I think the players are really feeding into it as well and kind of embracing it. Um, So you're, you're definitely seeing that. That being said, nothing compares to ball arena in a playoff. (laughs) I have to throw that one out there at least, but definitely is uh is definitely a place where you can really feel an energy. And I think that getting back home and being able to reset and feed off of that. I know teams always tell us like, oh yeah, it was great. The crowd was great. We felt their energy. And and a lot of the time you feel like it's just what they think they're supposed to say. Totally. But for this Florida team, that actually is really true. I do feel like there is something about this relationship they have with their fan base that they really do gain an extra edge from it. And you also have to consider the fact that they knew this was absolutely a must-win game. So crowd, crowd, they had to have everything as deep as they could because if they go down 3-0, then I really don't think there's much left to say. Yeah, no, it seems like it's been a great atmosphere there. The other conversation in this series that's become so important and was a bit of a roll of the die on either side is goaltending. And Mm -hmm. you've seen Bobrovsky at many different stages. And I was curious what your assessment of goaltending in this series on the whole has kind of been and just maybe speak to his composure. Can he pull it off? Yeah. Well, first thing, Aiden Hill and and Vegas has gone through like five goalies this year. I mean, Tom the star he went to the all-star game and you had Brissant come in he gets hurt now they have Jonathan Quick on the line I mean it's pretty wild but to look at what Aiden Hill has been able to do to come in and play the way he has I mean he's 6'6 he's got everything it takes to be a great goalie but he's mm-hmm. young a lot of pressure so credit to him uh it's been a real frustrating part for the Panthers I think they're starting mm-hmm. to meet, figure out the ways to score on him but for Bobrovsky I mean, he came in and that was my first season was his first season. And we're looking at it like, okay, this is the biggest goalie contract that's ever really been handed out. And no taxes in Florida. So Bob is making a lot yeah. of money. Yeah, he's getting a lot of that. Yeah. <laughs> like you're expecting Bob that, right. that just single-handedly knocked out the Tampa Bay Lightning in round one that year. And it was a very different structure for him. And Florida's defense at the time was not great. We saw that. We saw this struggle, but one thing that has remained consistent with Bob from the first day he got there until right now here in the Stanley Cup final is his routine. He is the Mm. most dialed in and routine goaltender. He has a plan for everything and he doesn't deviate from it. He is so structured 
his 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 process that he talks about all the time he doesn't he doesn't change it he's very good at winning losing it doesn't matter he just wakes up the next day starts his routine all over again and you see that finally i think catching up now that the team has figured out the perfect ways to play in front of him but make no mistake bob single-handedly was a big part of that game last night they wouldn't have been in it if totally. he weren't as good as he was early on so it is definitely a long time coming, but I think the Dale Talon deal is finally showing how valuable it is because you need a goaltender like that to win in the Stanley Cup final. And Bob has been that other than game two, where honestly, I think the team was just as flat as ever. And he kind yeah. of just fed off of it. He was a little off too. Maurice said, I think everyone was just sort of a few seconds behind, but I think Bob has really shown that goaltenders that have that strong foundation, that structure, that routine ultimately will find success. And it's really great to see because he's a fantastic person. So it's really nice yeah. to see him rewarded because you got to give him a lot of credit because those first years were hard. He dealt with so much. I mean, he was getting chirped nonstop. Who is this yeah. guy? $10 million. What? We should try to get rid of him. There were even talks that they were yeah. looking at shopping over this last summer. And nobody's really biting on that kind of a contract. Right. But it's a good thing they didn't because he has certainly been a huge part of the team this year. And I do think that he has what it takes to get the job done. The Panthers, however, are going to have to continue to play at a higher level because their power play is 0 for 12. They're definitely mm. getting outdated by Vegas. They're going to have to continue to find ways to beat this team because Vegas looks really good. No, they do. We've got uh, Katie Goss from Altitude Sports here with us. Katie, just a couple more. You mentioned uh, you mentioned a couple things earlier that I want to circle back to. And one was you mentioned the the physicality that Florida has tried to bring to this series, and maybe not going a step too far. You know, they're not doing anything reckless out there, but but it seems like they've maybe gotten sucked into that a little bit too much. Game two, yeah. you've got people being tossed left and right. But you mentioned Sasha Barkov. He was one of the few players from the Florida Panthers that finished game two. And then game three, they come out, I mean, less than half the hits they had in either games one or two. And they come out on top. How much do you think Barkov has just a little bit of that calming presence where it's like, hey, everyone take a deep breath. We don't need to go put everyone through the wall. And how much do you think that this kind of needs to be the formula for them? Stay hard to play against, stay physical, but you don't need to go over the top. Yeah, especially in game two, you saw it. They were over committing along the boards and really finding themselves getting beat by Vegas with the speed off the rush. They were pinching down way too aggressive. And that's how they play. They like to be that right up in your face defensive style. But if you're not fast, you're not going to be able to recover. And you saw the amount of odd man breaks that Vegas was getting because of it. You look at the last game that they win, they actually were out hit by Vegas. Um, they still weren't cashing in on the power play, but they were also taking a lot fewer penalties. So Barkov is the guy that maybe that's where the perfect balance kicks in, right? You've got Kachuk there for those big moments when you need to be fired up, when you need to get the team going. But then Barkov is the one that's like, let's stick to our structure. There's nobody that follows the game plan more than Sasha Barkov does. <laughs> so to have that perfect yin and yang, I guess, is the best way to refer to it. Yeah. He's the guy that keeps them calm, keeps them sticking to their plan. And to be completely honest, he's probably not saying anything at all. He just goes out and plays that game oh, the right yeah. way. Doesn't come into the room. He's not giving a speech. <laughs> you know, there's there's just the lead by example. Yeah. And just having going out and putting out solid shifts and playing that right way. And again, it's been really interesting. This whole postseason, 
the the officiating has been just all over the map. We've got games where they're not calling anything. You've got games where they're calling everything. Even in last night's game, heading into what was it, eleven seconds long? I, 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 I thought that was terrible. I thought that was a terrible call. Soft call. Oh For my gosh. Game, I was like, even the officiate, uh, the uh, the uh, the guys talking, um, the broadcasters on TNT are like. Didn't we kind of like all agree that when the playoffs come around, you sort of put the whistle away unless it's like a really good scoring chance. Right. And I think the refs got the memo, but again, <laughs> that's where like that composure comes into play and you totally. have to, I mean, to kill that penalty and who's killing the penalties Barkov. I mean, right. he's out there for all of the biggest defensive moments. Uh, so you definitely need kind of a little bit of both, but yeah, I need the refs to chill a little because I just want the guys to play. I don't, I don't need officials deciding games. I just, just let them figure it out. Yeah. With 11 seconds left. I thought that was, a, I thought that was a real ticky tack call. Uh, Megan, do you want to wrap it, wrap it up for us? One more. So we can kind of bring this back to the yeah. avalanche related part of the conversation and looking at both these teams in the Stanley cup final, is there anything we can glean from either of them? that the Avs should learn from or maybe is affirming of what the Avs already do very well to take into next year? Well, the one thing you can kind of look at for both teams as far as their postseason, they haven't had a lot of injuries. So that <laughs> and it just goes to show you that when you're going to win, you really do have to get pretty lucky in totally. a lot of ways. Uh, you can have the best team in the world, but if you're not getting injuries at the right time, if you're losing guys when it counts, I mean, imagine if Kachuk hadn't come back from that hit last night because he totally. didn't start period. Everyone's panicking. The guy tied the game. I mean, that just shows mm -hmm. you how much players being in and out of a lineup can make an impact. So I think if there's one thing the Avs can learn, it's that use this summer to get as rested and as healed up as possible. What's crazy, guys, is that this team is going to look a lot different next year with the mm -hmm. amount of UFAs and RFAs and, and things that have to be decided. I know like we've got the draft coming up even, and I know we have a first round pick. I keep telling people I'm going to be shocked if we still have that because I, yeah. I think top that off for like a bona fide guy who can play right now. Prospects just aren't really what we're looking for at this totally. stage, but it's definitely another interesting off season. It'll be good to get the rest I think when you look at these two teams, this has been a really weird Stanley Cup playoffs in general. I don't think mm -hmm. anybody had Florida even in it. Vegas <laughs> great from the beginning, but they've they've just kind of gotten better as it's gone on. Mm -hmm. um, so I think ultimately it's really just about again timing and being your best when it counts the most. And you look back at teams that have won it in the past that were terrible, right? St. Louis was like last place, then they they mm -hmm. kick it up at the right time. Goaltending is a big factor, and both of these teams have had that pretty consistently throughout the postseason, which is one area the Avs are definitely doing well. I can't wait to yes. see your energy. Yes. Um, but at the end of the day, I think it's got to do with a lot of timing, a lot of luck, and it's going to be – I just hope that this series goes to six or seven because I feel I like agree. these are so entertaining. We deserve a little bit more of that. Totally. I, I'm with you on that. I, I, I'm hoping it goes seven as someone who doesn't have a rooting interest. I, I think these are two fun teams to watch. Um, Katie, thank you so much. Seriously, I think we took a little bit more of your time than we said we would. So we appreciate you. Uh, we're looking forward to seeing you here as things get going here over the next few weeks. So yeah, continue to rest up and uh, thank you again so much. You rock, don't you? Yeah, yeah sounds good, guys. Thanks so much for having me on and uh, we'll chat soon with some free agency fun. That yeah, can't awesome. wait. We'll have you back on too at some point this summer. Absolutely. All right. Awesome. Take care, you guys. Bye. Thanks so much, Katie.
All right, that is uh, Katie Gauze, Altitude Sports. You can catch her uh, from time to time on uh, ESPN as well, doing some of their women's hockey uh, coverage. Like, yes, uh, I was gonna say I didn't want to. Uh, does she do uh, PHF? I want. I didn't. PHF, I didn't want to. Yeah, she's. I wanted to ask her about women's hockey. That's another show. Yeah, I was gonna say we'll have her back on. We've <laughs> we've got a couple months here that we'll uh, we'll have to fill. So uh, we'll definitely have Katie back on. Uh, fun getting to know her this year, uh, as one of the, you know, she was one of the new faces, uh, in around the press box. Uh, you know, obviously last year was my first year back being around. Uh, this was your first year there. So it's nice to have, uh, fresh faces, especially someone like Katie, who is, you know, total pro coming from Bally's and Fox sports and stuff like that. My first time meeting her was development camp right around the summer. Like we're kind of coming full circle here. Oh yeah. Nice. It's been really nice to have another face in the rink, another woman in yeah. the rink too. I've loved it. No, totally. And 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 again, it's it's fun to have um, you know talent here locally. That again, she she's with altitude, but she does ESPN. Oh, and, yeah. You know, she gets involved in other things, so it's always fun to have uh, you know folks like that around. Uh, I want to get a little bit more into Game Three of the Stanley Cup Final because it was an entertaining game. Yeah. There, there were some stretches where it wasn't very good hockey, so I want to get a little bit more into it. Uh, first, I do want to tell you guys about uh, our good friends over at Bacchus and Shanker. Uh, they've been winning for Colorado families for over 25 years, Megan. I talked about it last week when you had the show. I remember growing up, seeing their ads, seeing their billboards. What are you looking for? It wasn't oh, I know. I know. I said Bacchus and Shanker. I know. I, uh, I think it's actually in the, the room over there. Next yeah. Time. Yeah. Next time. Uh but so it's it's just crazy because they've been around for so long. They've been doing this for so long that I'm now as an adult doing their reads and things like that. But I mean, they've been around forever. Uh, you don't pay anything when you're working with Back and Shanker until they win your case and win you some money. So you, uh, you know, free consultations. And again, they don't charge you anything until they know that they have won for you and that you have money coming back. They've won over $1 billion uh, for their clients over the years. And they have now even more locations in Colorado, uh, including neighborhood offices in Denver, Aurora, Inglewood, and Fort Collins. Uh, They have over 30 lawyers on staff, over 100 uh, other people on staff, support staff. Um, Backus and Shanker helps with all kinds of injury cases where you weren't at fault. That's car accidents, motorcycle, rideshare, uh, pedestrians, trucks. Uh, they can even help if you were injured at work. All you got to do is call 222-2222 to find out if you have a case for free. Again, they don't charge you if you don't have a case. If you don't win, they don't charge you till they have won you money. Backus and Shanker, 222-2222. Uh, also brought to you guys by, uh, one of our newer partners, Saturday neon a company started by two friends and former college roommates at CU that make officially licensed collegiate, uh, led neon signs. We have a couple down in the bar. If you've ever been here, uh, to the DNVR bar before, uh, they're awesome. I really do like them when you get up close. They're not like regular neon, the, like, it's not like just like the, you know, the tube with the filament. Yeah. It's a lot cleaner. The colors are a lot, you know, they're, they're vibrant, but not yes. hard to look at. Yes. Um, and, and I can tell by the way you're agreeing, you know, exactly. I don't know if this is coming across There's, the way I mean it. Like, you know, a shade of highlighter can almost be blinding. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Eyes. Exactly. It's not that, but it's vibrant and eye-catching. Right. Yeah. It, 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 all the colors pop in the ways that you want them to. Uh, again, they're a Denver based here company, whether you're a diehard fan, casual supporter, uh, you really do like the way that 
all of this stuff lights up. And again, we've got the buffs and the ramps up down there. Those are color, hard colors to get right sometimes, but the neon looks great. Um, you know, they, 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 they just, they pop off the wall when you hang them up and you haven't turned on. Nice. Yes. Oh, there they are. Like right. they, they just again, they just they look really nice. Like they can do stuff with the with the lighting that I just feel like you don't normally see with traditional neon. Like there's usually little gaps in the letter where they can't close it. Yes. Uh, I mean, I think it, they they just they look fantastic. They ship everything to you, everything that you would need, a mount, uh, power, a dimmer. Every installation is easy. Officially licensed products uh, for 19 schools, in, which include Colorado, Arizona, Wisconsin, Auburn. Uh, and plenty of others. Great for offices, man caves, rooms, basements, all of that good stuff. Uh, and by the way, they make a great gift for Father's Day, which is rapidly approaching here. Go to SaturdayNeon.com. Use the code DNVR. You're going to get 10% off your order and free shipping when you spend more than $200. Again, that's SaturdayNeon.com. All right, Megan, let's get into it a little bit. For yeah. for what was last night, uh, again, shout out, uh, big thank you to Katie Yaws for coming on. I know she is, uh, I, I, I'm always tempted to say sideline reporter, but it's not a sideline. No, you're right. By the glass. That. by the glass by reporter the glass for altitude reporter. uh obviously covering the Colorado avalanche that's how we've gotten to know her but she does come from multiple years uh where she was with uh bally's and then fox sports southwest where she covered the florida panthers uh full time so it was great to have her on and just kind of get her perspective i was glad she brought it up because i've had conversations with her this year about sasha barkov yeah. and i know that she's you know she had told me this year that that he's an even better person in person and when you get to know yes. him and just that the way he plays on the ice really kind of translates to how you know him off. So I was glad she brought that up because it was something that stuck out to me, Megan. He's one of the, I mean, what 11 guys that doesn't get ejected from game two for the Florida Panthers. And then last night they cut the physicality in half, if not more uh, 30 plus pushing 40 plus hits in games one and two, just 14 hits for the Florida Panthers last night. How did you kind of see that play out? Was it similar to what she was talking about? Whereas, you know, we got to pull the reins back here, follow Barkov's lead, stop trying to put every single guy through the glass. It's interesting. I love the Bergeron Marshan comparison I did because too. of what yep. Bergeron is too. Like, all right, the Marshan rat to Kachuk pipeline comparison is yep. so obvious, but there's something to be said for the type of player that Bergeron is in terms of discipline yep. that is a comparable, maybe in a way that I hadn't previously recognized I in Barkov. I think yep. it's a lot quieter in his game. But what I find interesting is, especially in that game too, where the wheels came off of the disciplinary side of things pretty quickly, mm -hmm. Barkov was among one of the highest hitters on the team that game, like of the forward group especially. Mm -hmm. And so it's not an area of his game that he's abandoned completely. He yep. is still trying to be more engaged and physical. And this is where I think the Kachuk influence kind of happens is this is where the top six as a whole, I think, has grown. She talked about transformation. And yep. I think as a whole, being aggressive on the forecheck is something that, though Barkov maybe hasn't perfected, has leaned into on one side of things but has not abandoned also the discipline side of his game yep. that has been essential because this is where Florida getting the win is important to me, not just as someone who had them coming out of this, <laughs> but I see game by game, 
the mistakes being made by Florida, Barkov's not making many of them. Yep. He is engaged and he's trying very hard shift by shift. He's creating in each of these games. And finally, too, it's starting to come together for Florida. But I think that only happens if there are players at leading the charge on that who don't give up at any point. There's a consistent effort from them. It's hard to lack in your effort when you have a player like Barkov never cutting out of shifts early. Right. He's, you know, he's never taking the easy way out. He's just every step in and out of the play engaged. And I, I think that was a really wonderful comparison with the Marshawn and Bergeron thing. No, I agree. And and, and again, I, I know I've told this story and I've used this line a million times, but Barkov really to me is the kind of player like what we talked about when Nico Sturm got to town last year. I'm hard to play against, not in the sense that I'm going to put you into the third row, but I'm always in your hip pocket. I've always got to stick in. I'm always going to, you know, finish a check along the boards on the four check. And to me, that's kind of the, uh, again, loosely, that's the way that Barkov is. He's hard to play against, but he keeps his composure. He kind of keeps his discipline. And I liked what she said about he really is kind of the more do as I do, not do as I say. Yeah. I, I wanted to maybe draw the parallel. I didn't want to risk making Katie too sad to the, the McKinnon Landeskog dynamic in a much, in a different way. It's not, you know, it's not pest and, and level headed, but it's, you know, we talked to Nate at the beginning of now two seasons ago, you know, when Gabe Landeskog signs the extension at the 11th hour and then comes back and someone said, were you thinking you were maybe have to take over as captain? And he said, no, I don't want it. I need Gabe here. He's, you know, he's the guy that keeps me on the rails right. because I'm, you know, I'm the emotional engine and all that stuff. Um, so it feels like maybe a similar, uh, you know, kind of dynamic there. But I wanted to liken what we saw really in games one and two from the Panthers with maybe the over physicality to, if you can remember, the first period of game two of the Avs first round series against the Seattle Kraken just a few months ago. Yeah. One of the worst periods that we saw them play all season. And one of the things you and I were talking about was you could tell that the abs came out saying, we, we want to generate some energy. We want to, we want to get engaged early. And the way they kind of tried to manifest that was run around and hit anybody. You can move your legs and try to hit anybody you can. And it was leading to them being way out of position, chasing pucks, you know, that really weren't winnable pucks, uh, you know, finishing hits on guys that were way out of the play and abandoning assignments. And if it wasn't for Alexander Georgiev, that game could have gotten away from them. They may not have been able to come back and get a win. And maybe it's not a seven game series. That was what it looked like to me through those first couple games for Florida. And it took the Avs saying, stop, this isn't part of our game. This isn't part of our identity. Are you maybe seeing a little bit of that with Florida as well, just for, and I know you and I don't spend a ton of time watching Florida Panther games, but from just what we've seen this playoffs, does it look like last night was a, Hey, let's stop trying to, you know, create momentum out of literally nothing just because the Stanley Cup final let's play our game. Yeah. It's interesting too. Cause obviously Kachuk is the type of player who can bring energy, but in doing so there have been some disciplinary things yep. that have cost. And it's not just Kachuk specifically. This is honestly sure. true of a few players. Radko Gudis got into it a little bit last night. Exactly. And so in knowing that this is an area of the game where it's like, okay, you, you might be searching for energy in the wrong places. <laughs> and I love the way you put that. 
I see the in-game adjustments from game two into game three. So Mm -hmm. I see the ways in which they are correcting some of this because Katie talked about overcommitment in game two. That was a huge issue. The situational awareness, they were too quick to abandon their guys and they weren't managing their lanes well. And so their D zone coverage, because they were almost acting panic, they were too quick to play the body. And when Paul Maurice was the one to say this has been maybe needlessly physical, Mm -hmm. It is the calls coming from inside the house, but it is in response to what Vegas does well. And so where I saw the in-game adjustments is they simplified what they were doing in their own end and kind of returned back to their identity because both of these teams can play good team defense mm-hmm. and they can play a physical game, but they have to rein that in a little bit. So I think they did this a lot better in game three. And then the other thing is they had to be a little more relentless in the offensive zone. Yeah, I agree. And yeah. this is where we saw, and we've been begging for them to do this because one thing Vegas does really well in their D zone coverage is their lane management. Mm-hmm. And so it was very difficult for Vegas to get anything on Aiden Hill. Florida to get, yeah. Uh, yeah, sorry. No, no, you're good. Florida you're good. to get anything on Aiden Hill. And finally, even though they've been kept to the perimeter so much through this series, Florida had more variety in their shot selection. Mm-hmm. And it's corroborated by the goals against Aiden Hill coming low, medium, high danger chances. They're trying a lot of different things now. And I think these things were connected. They felt because the possession part of their game, especially because they have been chasing Mm -hmm. just to get back in the game, has been where they're quick to try and regain and retain possession because they're acting from a place of desperation. That's another reason why I think that discipline hasn't always been there is that's the source of their energy. Mm -hmm. That's where I talk about it coming from the wrong place. You get a little bit too a little bit too much of that energy kind of goes through you and you, you reach and you slash and you, whatever exactly. you finish a check that you shouldn't have finished. And yeah. So yeah. Sorry. And I didn't mean to interrupt where This is starting to connect then is they get a little more time and space in the offensive zone. And finally the infallible Aiden Hill starts to look just a little more fallible. I mm-hmm. still want to give him credit. He's still playing very well very good. and it will be difficult to get just even pucks on net because you look at the shot differential and Though Florida is generating better quality chances, it's still a lot of effort on their part. Mm-hmm. They're having to work very hard to get anything. And and I will say, as much as it feels like the wheels came off for Florida in game two, I agree. I think Aiden Hill had a lot to do with that just in his play. The few opportunities that they were able to generate in the first half of that game, I mean, he was making big saves. He had a couple that I can think of off the top of my head that are, oh my gosh, are you kidding me? You know, maybe not like show-stopping sports center top 10 saves which just really nice solid saves on on good looks for the panthers and you know the we talked about it last i believe it was after game one the goal last night to tie the game matthew kachuk it's getting to the front of the net it's getting to the interior of the ice because one thing like you said that vegas does really well they clog up lanes and especially when they're playing with a lead it's not it's not trap defense in the way that the islanders play the trap but essentially they say you're going to have to skate around us. You're not going to go through us. If you want to try to skate through four or five guys stacked at the blue line, we'll, you know, we'll chip pucks. We'll, we'll strip pucks off you all day. So they make you try to put it in behind them. Then they win pucks. And what Vegas does well, and this goes back two years to the year that they eliminated the abs. They put pucks to space and they win races. They win battles. So when you're watching that third period last night, part of the reason why we kind of made the joke off the top that it wasn't a great, full game was because there was a lot of the back half of that game that Vegas spent doing just that skate right into us. We'll chip pucks out and then we'll chase them down. We'll forecheck you. We'll try to take advantage of some opportunities here. Um, and, and I'm with you. I thought Florida, they worked really hard, but they, 
We're able to get to the middle of the ice. We're able to finally get a little bit of sustained zone pressure and it, you know, bears itself with the, uh, you know, Matthew Kachuk game time goal with just over two minutes left right in front of the net, putting back, you know, winning a battle in front and putting a puck home. That's how you're going to have to beat not only the way that Vegas plays defensively, but the way that Aiden Hill is playing right now, you're going to have to take advantage of your second and third opportunities. Cause like you said, I, I don't, I don't want to take anything away from him. I think maybe the, the, the national conversation, including us, isn't enough about Aiden Hill in this Stanley Cup final. Because I think he's been fantastic. Even in last night, but the difference yeah, I agree. being what Bobrovsky was able to do on his end of things. He looked so much more composed, especially in a second period where there was a lot demanded of him. The shot differential in mm-hmm. that frame alone tested Bobrovsky more than any other. And he had to come up with some important saves. Even following a goal against on the power play, he still had to make some really impressive saves to close out that period just to keep them in this game. So it, it, he he felt to me very like what we used to talk about with Varlamov. We talked a lot about this year with Georgiev. Okay, you're behind. No more. That's fine. You know, you, you haven't had a strong first two games. Florida jumped out to a one nothing lead. Now you've given up two straight. We're good with that. Just no more. Right. And he shut the door and he did what he needed to do. Um, I, I think that's an impressive mental toughness moment for Sergei Bobrovsky, given how the season was going, given the circumstance they were in. Vegas was playing very confident, continuing to push. Um, I, I'm with you. I thought that was a an important night for Bobrovsky. I want to circle back a little bit to the physicality thing because you mentioned Paul Maurice calling, <clears throat> not calling the team out, but saying after game two, we're being physical, but we're not always being physical in the right ways. Like right. I get what we're trying to do, but we're looking for our energy in the wrong places. You almost wonder how much he was kind of seeing this after game one. Cause what was his quote after game one? Everybody fucking breathe. And I almost wonder now with that comment, with the comment after game two, and then seeing the performance last night, if he saw in game one, like, holy, I had the thought, Last night when it went 2-1 Vegas, I said, are we are we seeing something that we talk about a lot, but I do think it's overblown a lot? Are we seeing a team that the moment's too big for? That Again, when it they have a lead, then they give it away after those first two games. I said, oh, shit, we, we maybe didn't really, you know, this is too big of a moment for Florida. I think it's an important thing to talk about because we talked about vulnerabilities early on and we talked about the Bednar discussion of why he'd prefer his players not to show their emotion because it lets the other team know you're in their mm-hmm. head. And I think the vulnerability that Florida exposed early on Absolutely. was that they can be baited into things. And Vegas took Vegas took full advantage of this. And that is where Florida has need, needed to rein it in a bit because they exposed themselves a little bit in this arena. And that's why I think the one being the game time goal to come at the end of this all uh, for that late third period goal is Matt Kachuk. I think there's mm-hmm. a lot of significance in him being the guy in that moment, especially because I think there's even significance in the OT winner. I think Kachuk planted at the net front there might've gotten in Hill's head a little uh, bit. Totally. Megan, you took the words out of my mouth. Yep. In the third period. Yep. And that is well, in three overtime goals, this playoffs. Exactly. That's what Matt Kachuk is. He can be mm-hmm. the disciplinary liability, but he can be the guy who scores the, important games in the big moments and you talk about you know, mm-hmm. is Florida meeting this moment appropriately maybe not in some ways but they have this 
tool in their tool bag. Yep. It's a double-edged sword. And it's Matt Kachuk. <laughs> well, and, and last night was actually the first night where I thought it looked like they rose to the occasion in the moment. I, I, I really, I thought the moment had swallowed them up in the first two games. And going back to the, the, your comment about, you know, Vegas understood, well, you know, we can easily either bait them into or just let them run themselves into the ground here. It was a, there was a shot, uh, you know, a shot on cam, on a camera shot on TV in game two. I don't remember at what point in the everybody getting ejected it was. We were already into that portion of the game uh, where, you know, just anybody was getting tossed. And, uh, you know, a, a skirmish was kind of broken up and there was a Florida player going by the Vegas bench just barking at every single guy and not a single Vegas player bit. And I was, and that was a moment, another moment where I was watching it, and it's what you were just saying. I was like, "Yeah, Vegas is in their head. They know they are." That, and I don't even remember who the player was. Maybe Lindell, um, or um, who's the ninety-four? It's not Lindell. It's uh, Lomberg. Lomberg. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Um, I think it was maybe him. He was going by the Vegas bench. And I mean, no one would even give him the time of day. And it's like, that's one of those things that as soon as he's, as soon as he's by you, you look at the guy next to you on the bench, like we got him. We're in it. Like we got him. That's so elite pro level of mm-hmm. Vegas side of things too. That takes experience. And I, we have, and we are, have to give credit to Vegas for that component of that. That, that was actually the moment where I sent the tweet right after that. I said, this might, and I really do make an, I think, and Avs fans aren't going to like this. I think we may be looking at a team here that could buck the trend of kind of ebbs and flows to success. And, you know, you have a limited competitive window. Watching that composure, there's a great core there in Vegas. And and they're, they're, despite what has kind of happened over the last couple of years, it seems like this group this year has kind of reestablished the culture there a bit. They've got a very aggressive owner in Bill Foley. They've got very aggressive management that has shown multiple times we are willing to sidestep whatever loopholes and rules we need to to make sure that we are as competitive as we want and need to be. They've got a passionate fan base that has been number one in attendance now for six straight seasons. Uh, They have a desirable location to live. It's nice weather during hockey season. Uh, my understanding is Summerland, where most of the players live, is a very nice uh, suburb of, you know, near the strip, but away from all the tourist stuff. Really nice area. And then you have no state tax in Nevada. I tweeted out the other day. All of that together is a recipe, in my opinion, for a long term competitive window. The one thing that People are always, you know, afraid in the NHL. Oh, well, you know, aging curves, bad contracts. But like I said, in six years, Vegas has shown four or five times that they are they understand how to get around these kinds of things. There's always a way out of a bad contract and that they're willing to make some maybe not super PR friendly moves because they think that it will benefit them long term in terms of their competitiveness. And they're two wins shy of winning a Stanley Cup and kind of being able to show this model works. I know people weren't a fan of the way we treated Marc-Andre Fleury on the way out, but it ultimately worked out. And if you have ownership and management that is willing to do that, combined with all those other things that I, I kind of listed there, if you add a, you know, a championship pedigree on top of that, 
I, I really don't know. I mean, you could be looking at a team in Vegas. I'm not saying they'll be cup contenders every year, but I told Rudo yesterday off air, I said, this would be a team that if you told me 20 years from now, 25 years from now, is in sole possession of the playoff streak record, which is right now at 22 years, I wouldn't be surprised at all. It's interesting too, because where or Vegas has looked <laughs> there most concerning is when I felt there's a disconnect between front office and players. Yep. And I think this is a relationship, a marriage between these two groups that they have to be committed to, to find success. And I think this is where we've seen the, the trend improve for Vegas too, is they are making moves that make the players happy. Yep. Players are being surrounded with talent. And the other thing too, the avalanche comparison is Bednar's unwavering confidence in the system and the culture that he was building is because he knew it works. It was a model that works mm -hmm. and it required patience and building over time, especially from the starting off point, which was a really low point through now. And I think this is something that Vegas is emulating in ways because it is bigger than the players on the ice. It is an organization wide effort that requires everyone to be bought into what they're attempting to build. And I think the consistency now we're seeing in Vegas, being able to put this on ice product that is bought in and even in the small scale of these playoffs, they have not had to play hockey to adjust to the team opposite mm -hmm. of them. They have made They've, the team opposite of them. 100%. They've the dictated. They play the game. Yep. The in-game adjustments for Vegas have been pretty minimal because they are doing exactly what they need to be doing. That's what makes it tricky for Florida in mm -hmm. all of this is because Vegas is not going to make many changes because they don't need right, to. Right. Florida needs to. And that is going to be, I think, a trend that continues for Vegas moving forward because of all of these things working together, the front office making decisions to support their players, and then it lending itself to a well-constructed roster year by year because mm -hmm. I think they have this idea, of, like you said, a model that works. And mm -hmm. I, I think they're going to stick to that. Right. And, and, and again, I don't think they'll always be super popular PR moves, but if you're hanging a banner once every seven years, I don't think anybody's ultimately going to care if you're making hard, you know, and I don't mean like difficult, but like hard business decisions saying, yeah, I know this guy was great. He was, you know, the first marquee name we had here in the market. His face is on everything. We think it benefits us competitively to move on from him for nothing. And we're probably not really going to tell him because that'll kind of lead to an awkward exchange. But, but again, they've kind of shown we're willing to do that in the name of winning. And like you said, they're in the driver's seat still reminiscent of last year's abs team through the first two games where it's like, you guys adjust. We'll make micro adjustments in game, you know, individual matchups, how we're, you know, line matching things like that, especially as it goes home road. But for the most part, Vegas is saying, cool. Can you beat us three more times at this game? Cause we still feel pretty confident about where we're at. Uh, let's, you know, we can kind of keep unpacking any of that. We have a little bit of news of the day to get into. Want to tell you guys about our good friends down at illegal Pete's uh, it's patio season. They got house beer buckets back Thursday, a week from yesterday. So six days from today, it's finally supposed to not rain. That's what, the, that's what it says right now. It Tiff laughs. Cause she knows probably not gonna happen, but, uh, you can start getting back outside. Uh, Illegal Pete's has extended their happy hour. So, you know, Nuggets game four is tonight. Game three, four. All right. Game yeah, four yeah, is yeah, tonight. Yeah. Um, so, you can, you know, go by Illegal Pete's, get some food, get a drink on your way down to the DNVR bar so you can watch the game. We say it all the time when, especially during the playoffs, when Colorado teams are not in town, 
There is no better place to watch the game than uh, downstairs from where we are sitting right now. Uh, so you go to the Illegal Pizza. It's just down the street. Then you can come down to the DNVR bar, watch the game. Illegal Pizza is open late. So if you can't make it there before, you can go there after, or you can just do both. You can go Illegal Pizza, DNVR bar, back to Illegal Pizza, drinks and food all night. I don't think there's anything uh, better. So head on into Illegal Pizza today. Uh, delicious burritos. Uh and I feel like they have more options there than at your other ones. You got the green chili options. You got more meat selections. Uh, I like their salsas better. They don't make my stomach hurt. They do have a lot of salsas. They have a lot of salsas. Uh, and then the their biggest thing, which has always been their claim to fame, which should just be like industry standard. They mix your burrito right before they fold it and they wrap it up. They mix your burrito. They toss all the ingredients around. Uh, so... Head on over to Illegal Pete's, grab yourself a delicious lunch, uh, and get a nice drink. Also, I'm brought to you guys by the American Raptors in Infinity Park. Uh, rugby, I didn't know this until just a couple of years ago. Uh, Glendale, Colorado, which is very, again, near where we're sitting right now, is considered Rugby Town USA. Uh, and the American Raptors play out of Infinity Park, which is right there. Again, probably about 10 minutes Um from where we are sitting right now. Uh, we have a DNVR uh, rugby podcast so that you can learn about what is really, it's a crazy sport. It's wild to watch. These are some of the toughest uh, people I have ever seen in my life. And what's fun about the American Raptors uh, is they have, they, they target pro athletes who are no longer playing, former pro athletes who are no longer playing their sport. And they teach them the rules of rugby. So these are uh, players that have come from the background of football, basketball, baseball, wrestling, soccer, uh, track and field. Uh, they all possess the necessary skills to excel at the game of rugby. Uh, and one of the athlete, athletes uh, being Tanila uh, Tupu, Tupuo. I don't know how to pronounce that. Uh, from the University of Washington, uh, he played for the Seahawks, the Falcons, and the Cardinals, the NFL. He also played uh, in the AAF, and he played for the Seattle Dragons of the XFL. So these are premier athletes uh, that are taking up rugby. It's free to watch. You can head over to uh, Infinity Park. You can watch the American Raptors uh, at no cost. If you want, follow Colton Strickler, our DNBR, DNBR uh, rugby pro expert thank you i couldn't find the word expert and so i went with pro maestro yeah thank you any of any of the above um he he helps you learn about rugby teaches you 101 of the rules he gets uh exclusive interviews with athletes and, and, and different players that come to town or that play for the american raptors and we will be having watch parties for a bunch of the matches uh this year we're gonna have swag we're gonna have ticket giveaways uh and uh tickets are just ten dollars Children under 12 are free. If you can't make it, you can watch all the American Raptor matches live on ESPN+. Plus, It's a good time. We are also, last but not least, brought to you guys by Breckenridge Brewery, which is the official beer of DNBR. We've got a bunch of their beers on tap. Again, I mentioned the weather's getting nice. We, the farmhouse is open over there off of Santa Fe. It's a great time to head over there. You can try all of their beers. They got uh, you know a, a, a beer store up front where you can buy any of the Breck brews uh, canned. It's a great experience. But again, we've got, you know, the seltzers, which I always love now that it's getting nice. You can sit outside a little bit more refreshing, uh, maybe then uh, a beer, but they have you covered dark beer, light beer, IPAs, ales, anything you might need. Use the Breck beer locator uh, at breckbrew.com to find the nearest liquor store near you now available in all 50 United States, Megan. So 
If you live in the U.S., use the Breck Beer Locator at breckbrew.com. Find the nearest one to you. Jesse Montano, Megan Angley, we got Tiff on the board. We had Katie Gauze from Altitude Sports on with us earlier talking Florida Panthers, Golden Knights, Stanley Cup final. Um, we will have game four, I believe, coming up tomorrow, or do yeah, we have two days off? I think it's tomorrow. Is it tomorrow? Because I thought I heard someone mentioning it is tomorrow, 6 o'clock uh, in Sunrise, Florida. Game four, Florida will be looking to even that series up. They held serve last night at home. The saying is you're never in trouble in a series, so you lose a game at home. So if Florida can hold serve again tomorrow night, we are right we back. We're, we're, we're down to a best of three, uh, and it should be a lot of fun. Megan, I want to just fly quickly through a few things that are kind of going around uh, here in the last couple of days. We'll end it with one that I have uh, a question for you on that's kind of abs facing. <clears throat> First, Shane Doan is named. Yeah. It, originally, it was rumored that he was going to be the assistant general manager. Right now, it is just special advisor to the general manager in Toronto. Megan, my question for you is how much is this? Hey, Austin Matthews, see, we have this other Arizona guy here. You shouldn't go anywhere. It's interesting. That is not the connection that I made. <laughs> that was the first thing that I thought. I was somehow like thinking Matthew Nyes. Is, is this a, a friendly... I don't know. Just to be like, dose. I, yeah. And honestly, that's a really small thing. My thing's really small. Your thing's actually <laughs> big. So, and, and that wouldn't have been the sole reason. Be nice. Just well, but I, I mean, that. but you see teams make moves like that for in specific players all the time. So well, it's not that far fetched. Connections in hockey. It's a small community. Yep. And this is obviously an interesting development that is a bit of a bummer for the Arizona organization, mm -hmm. I have to imagine, but it also feels like in what we've heard about Shane Doan's role, and I don't want to speak out of turn if I'm incorrect on this, is I think he was looking for something he could be even more hands-on involved yes, with. Yes, that's my and understanding. he has that opportunity in Toronto. It's a career move. I don't think it's meant to be any sort of slight on the Arizona organization. It's hard because of the timeline of things and the timing of what's going on with Arizona right now. It feels hard not to connect these two things mm -hmm. But I think it's more easily Shane Doan looking to make the best move for himself. I agree. Yeah, I agree. Because um, I, I, I'm with you. I think he wanted to be a little bit more involved in decision making and having a, you know, a, a, another hand on the wheel in terms of hockey decisions. So it's going to be interesting for, for me. Like I said, that was where my head went right away. Was is this some type of play to get? you know, for Austin Matthews and maybe Nyes as well. Like, Hey, you know, just so we can make sure that we keep both these guys within arm's reach. Um, we'll keep an eye on what happens there. The other one that I wanted to talk a little bit about, and again, we can kind of move through this quickly, Patrick Waugh. So, you know, let's turn the clock back two weeks. He's still in the Memorial cup run. There's a lot of coaching vacancies and there's a lot of buzz that, Hey, yeah, he's probably on his way back into the NHL. Well, Megan, now, like I said, a couple weeks later, he won the Memorial cup. You know, big congratulations to him, Quebec Ramparts. Uh, we're down to, I believe, three vacancies. His name isn't being floated around for any of them. How much... Now, again, obviously, something could always happen out of left field, kind of come out of the blue, and he could get a, a job somewhere, but it doesn't really sound like that's the case. It doesn't sound like any of the, the remaining teams that are looking for coaches are even really considering him. You know, the New York Rangers have said that they don't no. even consider him yeah. a candidate. He's not getting an interview. Was the way he left the abs, is that what we're seeing? Are we seeing teams say, like, 
we know who Patrick Waugh is and the kind of competitor he is. And we saw the way he took his ball and went home. And we're not doing that. Because I, I, just, I just can't believe that there's this many people saying, oh, he's not a good coach. I know that, you know, Rudo, you know, argues about his results and stuff like that. And he wasn't a good coach in the NHL. At the end of the day, he had his team for a few seasons that on paper really wasn't very good when you look back at those rosters. Got them to the playoff once, got them close two more times. This does feel like to me the consequences for his actions of walking out on an NHL team, one that he had long history with two weeks before camp. It's hard to pick between the two camps. The camp of, is he just a sleeper agent that is being more quietly discussed behind the scenes? Mm -hmm. I'm not sure because it does feel hard to imagine that he's not being discussed altogether. But what's interesting too is then the other camp is like you're saying, are these the consequences for his actions? Because I also believe behind the scenes, because this is such a small community and people talk, there's probably a lot of conversation about, well, what has changed that? If if Mm -hmm. we're going to give this another look, how might this be different? Because what I imagine is even if some of the personality things have have improved, changed for the better, like in the way that we talk about Greg Cronin, I wonder if there's still this feeling of him wanting to have control over decisions that Mm. teams aren't comfortable surrendering surrendering some of that control to that it's a non-starter yeah and that's less of a personality attitudinal thing versus we just can't offer you what you require to be a head coach here right and i could see that another like maybe the simplest explanation is the right one beyond just oh patrick was crazy or he's a bad coach (laughs) we just can't this isn't a marriage that would work. Uh, that's a great that's a great call out, Megan, because really I, I even remember at the time when everyone was still very excited about the Patrick Waugh hire. I remember at the time thinking, are there any other coaches that are also VP of hockey ops? When was the last time that that was, you know, a thing? And and it's not. It's there I don't know in the NHL. I don't know of many coaches throughout history that have had that level. Uh, I know, I know all coaches have a hand in roster construction. Of course they all get consulted with. They all have players that they like, you know, they can talk to assuming you have a good relationship. If you have a, if, if you're a functional organization, your relationship where the coach can go to the GM. Hey, you know, this is a guy who are you guys thinking, you know, blah, 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 round trade deadline, uh, that free agency. I don't think that's unique. What I do think is unique is having the official title of a decision maker for personnel and having again on paper titled the same amount of pull in the room as Joe Sackick, who is functioning as the GM, right? You're both vice president of hockey ops here. And then you have separate titles from there. I don't know where that is an instance. And I don't know when else that was an instance in the NHL. So uh, I think that's a great call out, Megan. Maybe when those conversations start, he's saying, well, hey, I'd really like another setup like that. And teams are just like, no, we're not doing that. We can't offer that. We're not doing this. And he on his side of things like, well, if I can't get it in writing or in the form of a title, Mm -hmm. there's no guarantee you'll uphold that. Right. I'm not comfortable with that as Patrick Waugh. Right. And obviously this is a little bit speculative on our part you know, that that's what's happening. But I, I do just find it a little shocking because it's what the Rangers, the senators and the flames that are down to coaching vacancies, unless there's one that I'm missing. I, I, I guess it. it could potentially be Toronto as well. It's a good point. Yeah. If deciding what they do, if they decide to to move on from Sheldon Keith, but I mean, 
<sighs> Do you think Wa could ever coach Toronto? So, what's so funny is I think if there's anyone that could handle the media, it's a great point. Attention, it's someone like him. Um, that you know wouldn't be afraid to get up there and say whatever. I I, I do think that, but I think. Uh, I just think that'd be a hard PR sell. It would. I think that would be um, a conflict. Right, right, right. Because, I mean, like, he's literally been a villain there for years. I, I mean, hey, Ron Hextall GM'd the Pittsburgh Penguins. So, I, I mean, I guess anything can happen. But That would be a huge redemption arc story for yeah, Patrick Wall. No kidding. came together in that way. No kidding. He ends up winning a Stanley Cup for the Toronto Maple Leafs as a coach. Uh, I, I mean, Ottawa is one that I think would maybe make a little bit of sense to me with the makeup of the roster and things like that. Um, you know, you got to figure out what you're doing with Debrinkat. But um, again, his name just really isn't out there. And I just have found it really interesting how it seemed like two weeks ago, everyone was kind of in agreement that Patrick Wall will be back to some extent. And now, like I said, 10 to 14 days later, it's like no one's even discussing him for the Rangers to come as go as far as saying we don't consider him a candidate for our position. Uh, I just thought it was interesting. Do you think, I don't consider this, but with a lot of American League vacancies, would his path back start there in any capacity? So here's what's, I don't think he would. I don't think he would either. I, I don't think he would. I, I think I, I'd be willing to bet you could find a, a whole bunch of teams that would say, come run our American League. We'll, we'll, we'll let you make decisions at that level. Yeah. You can get on the ice if you want. Like, right, right, right. But I, I just, because then that gives you an opportunity to get him into your organization. And then hopefully in a couple of years, a year, whatever, you do elevate him to, uh, you know, your NHL head coach. But I just don't think that. I don't think he'd go for it. I don't think he would do that. For the visibility of the American League. Totally, totally. Um, Last thing, Megan, then we can wrap this one up for today. I just want to circle back real quick to the Gavrikov situation. Uh, Elliot Friedman now reporting that it was Gavrikov that wanted two years, that he was likely even advised by his agent. I don't really think this is a good idea, but if you want two years, then you want two years. Uh, LA was originally offering him a little bit lower dollar amount over four to five years. Uh, you know, right in the five million range, he said, I'd rather do this for two. I guess I've got two questions for you. One, do you think that this is a Gavrikov one-off and we're not going to see a lot of players doing this? Or do you think that players are going to be saying, no, I'm going to kind of bet on myself and wait for the cap to go up. And then the second part of that question is, if if there are any players that would have interest in doing what Gavrikov has done, taking a shorter term, little bit more money, knowing that I'll be able to get paid again in a couple of years. Are there any names out there that a structure like that would make you more interested in, in the Avs pursuing them in free agency? Well, it's a couple interesting parts to that. The first of which being, I think, because of the context of the cap going up, it's the only reason I would say right now in the present, I think this is something we could see among other players. Mm -hmm. And then maybe for the near future, but if once the cap does increase, I could see this reverting back to the older ways of players, maybe yes. not taking such a bet on themselves. But I think this is absolutely centered around the cap increase and counting on that, banking mm -hmm. on that in a lot of ways. That's what's driving it. And then as far as then other players taking advantage of this, this is where I think this could be of the benefit to the Avalanche specifically. If there is a player from outside who would consider shorter term, 
two, one, two years, mm-hmm. um, that it, it would be really nice. Like you'd like, and there are players though who are getting up there in age too, where this doesn't make as much sense either. Like mm-hmm. Gavrikov was already borderline. Um, yeah. And so I, I haven't really committed to a single person, but it's, it's the type of contract I could see for players right now in this age range. Mm-hmm. Do you have someone specifically in well, mind? Well, so the one for me, and it's it's kind of a lame answer because it's a guy that we've talked about a bunch, but I just think that knowing his history and seeing the way that this kind of played out, I think at least gives you grounds for a sales pitch, and it's Ryan O'Reilly. Okay, I'm thinking similarly Adam Henrique, but like the age is like, well, this is kind of standard, actually. Right. Well, and so my thing with O'Reilly is, you know, could, could the abs get him on a pitch? Because I really do think that of the free agents... In terms of what the Avs are needing to solve, I think he really does fit the mold the best if you want to go the free agent route and not the trade route. Um, you know, I think he brings a little bit more of that res- de- uh, defensive responsibility. I think he'd fit into the Avs system well. He can kind of play below the goal lines in front of the net the way that Gabe Landeskog normally would, and it obviously solves your 2C issue. I've had a hard time buying into the fact that he would be interested in coming here because he has always been a, I'm going to the highest bidder type of uh, free agent. This to me just, I, I, I thought it, it, like I said, it lays the groundwork for, Hey, what if we give you more than what someone else is willing to give you, but we do it for a year or two, you're still going to be Ryan O'Reilly. Yeah. You're still going to be in high demand. The type of game he plays isn't suddenly going to drop off. He's still going to have that leadership pedigree, uh, you know, he'll have been playing in the top six. He still kills penalties, still a good face-off guy. So I don't know, could the abs go to him and be like, hey, you're not going to be able to get the payday that you want and, and you know, butter him up a bit, that, you're, that you deserve long-term, not in this market, not until the cap goes up. Come play with us for a year. Maybe you give him a second year and you deal with it next summer. But say, you know, a year or two years, let's go try to win a cup. Come back somewhere you're familiar, somewhere you've got friends, somewhere there's a clear spot for you in the top six. And, you know, let's go try to win one more. And then if you go into next, you know, if Ryan O'Reilly is going into next summer with another Stanley Cup ring on his finger, he's not losing any money. He's actually maximizing his value and earning potential because he's going to be released into free agency in a time where teams can probably afford to offer him even more. Yep. And it's it's kind of a get what you want, get what you deserve, but wait just one second. Like, what if mm-hmm. we just sidetracked here on this Stanley Cup and, run and, that and, we'd like to go on? And we'll give you the AAV that you want, but we're just not going to give it to you for seven years. We're going to give it to you for a year, maybe two but years, yeah. but we're going to give you more than what you want AAV. Yeah. We'll release be, you into free agency to go to, chase however much you want. However much money. You'll be able to do this one more time, and hopefully we'll send you into that free agency with an extra ring on your finger yeah, Stanley and and then at that point you're, you're probably signing for right at about the same anyways and you're still effective in all the ways that you were so again he's just the free agent name i don't know if the abs go the free agent route to address 2c or if it's through trade but right. just seeing something like this i said i i think that at least gives you a a sales pitch for a couple of these guys that maybe you wouldn't have been able to afford now you can just say Look what he did. Let's get you something like that. You'll still be young enough that you'll you can sign another deal, and we're going to take a couple good runs at this. Um, so it's going to be it's, it's going to be interesting to see how it all unfolds. Uh, anything else for today, Megan? No, I think that covers it. Okay, I was going to say I'm going to check my notes here. 
I think that's it. I think we got to everything. Uh, last thing for me, I do want to give a shout out to my beautiful wife. She turns 30 today. It is her birthday. Yes. Big birthday for her. Uh, June 9th. Yeah. June 9th. So, uh, all, ah, actually her 30th birthday. And it is also the uh, anniversary of the Avs 2001 Stanley cup win. That was 22 years ago today. So big shout out. Uh, like I said, to my to my beautiful wife uh, on her birthday. Uh, I think that will do it. Jesse Montano, Megan Angley. Uh, we got Tiff running the board, making sure that you guys uh, could see us, hear us, and also uh, making sure we get Katie on here. So big shout out to Tiff uh, today for making sure everything went smooth. Uh, Friday, so no show tomorrow. We will be back at it on uh, on Monday as we're you know the Stanley Cup final will be getting near a conclusion. Uh, we got draft stuff coming up soon. We had a meeting about that this week. So a lot of exciting stuff uh, here over the next month as we can continue to kind of ramp up into the offseason before the hard lull of August uh, that everyone dreads. But uh, everyone enjoy your weekend. Stay safe. Stay dry. All that good stuff. We'll see you guys on Monday.